You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Well, good morning. Man, it's good to see everybody here. And this is week one of a brand new series called The Final Week. And what we're going to do throughout this series is we're going to take a look at the, the week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus and him on the cross. And then we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday with the greatest thing that's ever happened on earth. And that is Jesus being raised from the dead, defeating death so that we could also defeat death and have a relationship with him. Amen. Man, that that is the Super Bowl for Christians. Right. We we celebrate everything we do is because of him and what he's done for us. Man, and I, I want to ask you a question this morning. If you knew that you only had a few days left to live, what would you do? What would that look like in your life? Do you have some bucket list that you would try to scratch off? Now, I started a long time ago a bucket list and I have no clue where it is. And I've probably never done any of that stuff. So I've just kind of reasoned within myself that I'm not a very exciting person. So I'm really not going to do a lot. Right. And some of you may be completely opposite. Some of you may want to jump off cliffs and go uh, swimming with sharks or whatever, man. I don't know what your thing is. That's not my thing. My thing is I would probably sleep as much as possible because I need that in my life. Amen. I need sleep. Um, I have three kids under the age of 11, and it's just rough, right? And I know some of you are like, yeah, I got four of those. Sorry about that, man. I mean, that that was your decision. So, um, man, I'm excited to start this series because I really believe, I really believe that if we can see what Jesus did right before the cross, it will impact us as Christ followers. It will change the way that we, we view our everyday life if we could just see what was important to him leading up to that time. And just a spoiler alert, I want you to know that it was you. You were important to him leading up to that time. And and I just want to encourage you with that this morning because you could be sitting there thinking, man, I'm just not a very important person. And there's nothing really special about me. I don't really have any any special gift or man people really don't understand me and I want you to know that Jesus loved you enough to continue on to the cross for you. And I want you to make it personal throughout this series because he did it for you. He died for you. Let that sink in this morning. Let's pray and then we're just going to jump in. God, I pray this morning that you speak through your spirit. God, I pray that you illuminate your word so that it changes our hearts so that we can become more and more like you. Give you all the honor and the glory and the praise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, But before we jump into verse 1, And we've looked at this passage already this year. So a couple months ago, we looked at this passage and we talked about abundant generosity. And we saw how God used the the generosity of ordinary people to change or to stir up an entire 
city and and we talked about how we really believe God has positioned us in this city in Harlem so that we could be generous with what he's given us and that he is going to stir up an entire city for his sake for his glory and people are going to come to know him but this morning I want to look at some other details of this story and this is Jesus just riding in to town on that final week and a lot of people they do this on what they call Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter, and now we're we're doing it a little early, but then we want to continue on in this week. But before we get to Matthew 21, I think we need to highlight some things in Matthew 20 because we don't want to miss it. So at the end of Matthew 20, right before Jesus is going into town, this is this is basically what happens at the end of Matthew 20. He he gets his disciples together and he. He tells them that he's going to die for the third time. This is his third time telling them. It's just foretelling of his death. And at the end of that conversation, he says, but I will be raised the third day. So he's he's again just telling them what's about to happen and what his purpose is on this earth. And it's, it's crazy to me that we have some disciples who have been with Jesus for about three years just walking with him every single day. And he's constantly having to remind them of what his ultimate purpose is because they just don't understand it. They can't grasp it. And I believe a lot of times in the church, there's some people who they really want to know what's going on, but they just can't understand it. And I I don't want to make it too simple where it's not powerful, but here's the truth. We're sinners in need of a Savior. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And He's a perfect, holy God. And because of His holiness, our sin has separated us from Him. And Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us back to the Father. And once we begin to follow after Him, we believe in that and we put our faith and our trust in Him. We begin a relationship with Him. We are then reconciled back to him and then we commit our lives to follow him wherever he tells us to go that's the gospel and i know that that may sound simple to you but i want you to know that that is the gospel and that's what we fight for here at impact church we fight for the gospel we don't fight for religion we don't fight for tradition we fight for the gospel of jesus because that's what changes hearts and life. So here in the end of Matthew 20, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm about to, to be crucified. I'm about to be put to death. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise. And then right after he says that, this mother of two of the disciples run up to him and she says, hey, my master, Jesus, Lord, man, I want my sons, one to sit on your left side, one to sit on your right side. I want you to try to think about this picture for a minute. I don't know if any of you have ever had parents like this, or maybe you are that parent, but think about sports for a minute. And your little precious boy or girl isn't starting, and you really think they should be starting on that team. Because to you, they're good enough. They're one of the best players they need to be starting. Obviously, the coach doesn't feel that way because your little baby's not starting. So as a mama, as a daddy, you, you grab your kids and you run up to the coach And you say, hey, my son is good enough to play. I want him in the starting lineup. Now, parents, I'm glad you love your kids enough to do that. And your kids are probably glad as well. 
But man, you are embarrassing the junk out of them. Okay? Because it, they're thinking, man, my mama, she really does love me. But look at all my friends. They're really laughing at me, and I don't like that. Man, that's kind of what's happening here. They're, James and John, the, the mother comes up, and she's like, hey, he needs to sit on your left side. He needs to sit on your right side. And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're asking. You don't even know what you're asking. And just keep in mind, the other disciples are standing around watching what's going on. And I, I don't know if you know much about Peter in Scripture, but he's probably one of one of the favorites for me. And he's just a rough guy, right? He's just a, he's going to kind of tell it like it is, really blunt. And I could just imagine Peter standing back like, look at this, look at this mama, right? Look at these boys and their mama running up to Jesus. Man, it, that's the that's the picture of what's going on here. But Jesus says something very profound here in this in this story. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink of? And the cup he's talking about is the cup of suffering. He's, he's telling them, hey, you don't know what I'm about to go through. This suffering that I'm about to endure for all of humanity, you have no idea what this is going to be. Are you really able? You have no clue what you're asking. And then he goes on to say that, man, I don't pick the people that sit next to me. Only the Father can do that. And he says, hey, you're, you're not here to, to sit on the left or sit at the right or to be lifted high. You're here to serve people. And he says, hey, the Son of Man didn't come to be served. He came to serve. This is right before Jesus is about to be crucified. He teaches a lesson on serving people. He says, hey, if you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to really have an impact for the kingdom of God, then serve people. Love people. Don't worry about how high you're lifted up. Don't worry about what position you're in. Worry about loving God and loving people. And when you do that, you begin to serve the way that He came to serve. Man, and He's teaching this right before His final week, right before the cross. And then right before he gets to, to Matthew 21 where he's about to ride in, he, he sees two blind men. They want to be healed, and he heals these two blind men. And I, I want you to see the picture of this. Is that there's they're not just blind like the people that you yell at driving right on the road that you call blind. These are like real blind guys. They, like, they can't see. And Jesus heals them. I want you to think about this. Being blind, Jesus is standing in front of you. He heals you. What's the first thing that you see when you receive sight? The Savior of the world standing in front of you. And what this is, is this a picture of what He's about to do for the entire world. This is a picture of the spiritual healing that's about to take place. He heals these blind men. Their eyes are open. They can see. And the first thing they see is King Jesus. And that's what happens. Man, we're, we're blind, we're dead spiritually. And we, we start to follow after Jesus and then we receive the sight and the King, the Savior of the world is our focus. And we begin to follow after Him. And all of this leads up to Matthew 21. And we're going to read just the, the first 11 verses together and we're going to break this down uh, verse by verse 
Matthew 21, starting in verse 1, says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So here's here's what's happening. He he goes in. He's about to enter into Jerusalem. He tells his disciples, Hey, go get me a horse that's tied up, or a donkey. And then we, we talked about the big donkey, little donkey. Last time in this message, right, there was two donkeys. There was a big one. There was a little one, right? That's what's going on. They're tied up. He says, hey, go get these donkeys. If anybody asks you what's going on, just say, hey, the Lord needs them. Bring them to me. The disciples go. They get them. They bring them to Jesus. And this is to fulfill a prophecy from 500 years before. So what I want us to do is I want us to see how these people responded to the Savior of the world entering. And then I want us to think about how we respond to the Savior of the world today. So let's just jump. Really quick to verse 6. And it says in verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And I want you to understand this morning that when Jesus tells us to do something, it's important for us to listen. Amen? This is what happens, right? Delayed obedience is disobedience. When God calls you to do something and you begin to delay, then that becomes disobedience. We see that Jesus told the disciples to go and they immediately went and did what he told them to do. And sometimes it's crazy. Right? In our brains, we don't understand what Jesus is even talking about. Sometimes we don't even know that it's him telling us to do something. And I get that and I know that that's a struggle sometimes. That How do we know that it's God really talking to us? How do we know that he really wants us to do this? What about this? What about that? I understand that that is a, that's a real struggle. And my answer is always this, and I'm not saying it's a good answer, but my answer is the closer you get to him, the easier it is to hear his voice. But also, if you take a first step of faith, if it's not what he wants you to do, I'm of the belief that he's going to let you know that, hey, that's not the right step. And then we begin, hey, let's line it up with Scripture. What does the Word of God say? If you feel like God's telling you to do something and it doesn't match Scripture, then it's not Him. Because He is going to tell you what to do aligned with His Word. And there's a there's a parable, or not a parable, there's an event that happened, there's a wedding, and everybody knows that Jesus turned water into wine, and the the Baptists don't like that uh, verse, and then like other denominations love that verse. Like it's right, it doesn't matter if you really like the wine thing or not. The the fact of the matter is that Jesus did do it. But here's the part of the story that I love. 
that his, his mom, Mary, comes to him and says, hey, we're out of wine. And Jesus says, yeah, okay. Like, what does that have to do with me? Like, that's, that's not my, uh, it's not my time yet to do anything about it. And then Mary gets all the servants and she says, hey, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. That is her advice. That's her advice to these, to these servants. That's my advice to you. Do what he has told you, not told you. Do what he's telling you to do. I'm a, I want to get a little, um, maybe not, I don't want to be divisive. I just want to tell you something that maybe you've never heard this morning. But I don't want you to do what God's told you to do. I want you to do what God's telling you to do. Because there's different seasons of life. And I'm going to give you an example. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and God told me to be a youth pastor. He called me to work with students. But if I was still doing what he told me to do, we would have never planted Impact Church because he told me to do something else. So sometimes we get stuck in what God told us to do, but we're not listening to what he's telling us to do right now. And when he tells us to do something, the important thing is to not delay and to do what he's told us to do. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So here's, here's what's going on. Jesus is sitting, and he's coming in on a donkey, and he is the king, right? So they're expecting this, this big uh, this big fight, this big battle. Here's the king coming to take over, and Jesus comes in on a donkey representing the prince of peace. He comes in humbly and says, I, I am the king of the world. I am the savior of the world, but I've come to serve and to give my life for you. I haven't come to, to just take over in some kind of bloody fashion. No, the only bloody fashion is going to be me giving my life on a cross for my people. For the entire world. And we see in verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And verse 8 is, is really important. I want to spend some time here, but man, it's, some people laid their cloaks down. Some people laid branches down. And, and there's, a, there's a purpose for both of these. See, the, the cloaks represented uh, recognition. Right, that they just recognized that this was the king, this was Jesus, this was the Son of God, and then the branches represented success and victory. And at, at first glance, it looks like these people are accepting the king, they're accepting the savior of the world. And we continue to read them, and we see that they're singing Hosanna to the highest, and they're singing these psalms, and these are straight from the psalms. And what it means is, oh, Lord, save us. That's what they're saying. That's what they're singing out loud as he's writing in. So they're, they're laying down clothes. They're laying down branches and they're singing, oh, Lord, save us. They're showing recognition. They're showing victory. And they're saying, hey, you are my Lord and I need you to save me. Right. That's that's what it looks like. But we're going to find out that, man, they did not have a heart change whatsoever that the Savior of the world had not changed their life. And what, what this reminds me of is a lot of churches on Sunday morning. 
a lot of churches on Sunday morning, these people come in to the building and they say, hey, I I recognize that God is God. I I really know that he has victory. I'm going to sing these songs that I know. And this would be like Christmas carols, right? We all know these Christmas carols. They all knew these songs. But there's no life change that was taking place. And what happens a lot of times is that people gather together on a Sunday morning like this and we say the right things and we sing the right things, but there's nothing happening on the inside. There's no heart change that's taking place. We're not allowing the Spirit of God to do work in our life. We're saying we believe. We're singing we need Him. But man, the heart is so far away. And Isaiah talks about this. Matthew, we see this in Matthew 15. It says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he says, you hypocrites. And you worship me, you honor me with your word, with your lips, with your heart. Man, it's nowhere close to me. And this reminds me of the people laying their cloaks down, laying their branches down, singing, Oh Lord, save us. And then just a few days later, they shout, Crucify him. Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. The same people that are singing his praises. And man, they're not just singing. They're this is spectacle. Man, the religious leaders even say, and Luke, he 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 records this in his account. He, he says, "Man, what is all the fuss about for this guy?" And Jesus says, "Hey, if they don't praise me, guess what? The rocks will cry out and praise me. I am the Savior of the world." So this was a big deal. These people are crying out. And man, there's churches all over the place that meet every weekend where people are singing words to God and their hearts are so far away. Man, and if you know my heart, you know that that is one of the biggest reasons that we started Impact Church is because there's so many people who claim to have a relationship with Jesus who don't know the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is there has to be an internal heart life change that takes place when you encounter the Savior of the world. Now, where are you? And are you one of those people that are laying your cloaks down, that you're you're laying the palm branches down, you're singing the songs because you know the words? Or has God really changed your heart? Would you be standing with the same crowd yelling, crucify him a few days later? Where are you in your walk with Jesus? See, people had a perception of Jesus based on what he did, but they didn't have a personal relationship with him based on who he was. See, they saw the miracles of Jesus. They they saw everything he did, so they had a perception of him being the king, being the savior, but they never started a relationship with him in a spiritual sense. They didn't know him. 
So this morning, the question that you have to answer is, do I know about him? Do I have a, a perception of him? Or do I truly know him personally? Do I know the Savior of the world? Not, not do I know about him? Not do I believe he exists? But do I know him personally? Have I started a real intimate relationship with Jesus? And if you haven't, then I'm afraid that as you lay your cloaks, as you lay your branches, as you sing Hosanna to the highest, man, when the world hits you and the enemy hits you, you will quickly turn to crucify. And in my heart is that we would be a people, we would be a church, we would be a community that would say, man, he is who he says he is. And because of that, he's changed my life and I'm following wherever he leads. I'm going to follow him wherever he leads. So he rides in. People are shouting. People are, are they're excited because this is the Savior. Right? Even, even the world gets excited about Jesus sometimes. Even the world gets excited about what's taking place in, in different people's lives. But just because you get excited about it doesn't mean that you've accepted it into your heart. So here's, here's what's going on. The king has come, and he had come not to ascend the throne, but to die on the cross. Right? He had come not to just ascend the throne, but to die on the cross. And then in verse 10, he says, who is this man? Who is this man? And this is, this is how we're going to, we're going to, we're just going to sit here for a minute. Because this is the most important question that you could ever ask or answer. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Is he just some, some person you read about in, the, in a book? Is he someone you sing about on Sundays at church? Is he someone that you cry out to when you need help because you know that you need somebody, you need something greater than yourself? Who is, who is he to you? And that's the question they ask. Hey, who is this man? Who is it? He's, he's causing a stir in the entire city. Who is it? Say, man, this is Jesus. But who's Jesus? This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And over these next few weeks, we're going to see how he, he lived out this Savior lifestyle. Where he said, hey, I came to serve, not to be served. I came to give my life as a ransom. I came to save the lost. That's the Savior of the world. That's who Jesus is. He's not just some, some story, book character that we read about. And Jesus is the Son of God, King of Kings, Savior of the world. Is He that for you this morning? Who is this man in your life? And we see an account where Jesus asks his disciples, hey, who do people say I am? And they give some answers. And then he turns it on them and says, well, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter gives a, a, an amazing answer. You're the son of God. You are who you say you are. And Jesus, knowing that 
Peter is one of those rough guys, right? He says, well, I know you didn't come up with that yourself, that the, the Spirit of God gave you that answer, but you're correct. And that is what I'm going to build my church on. Not you, Peter, but the profession that I am who I say I am. Our church is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Because he is who he says he is. And that changes everything. Changes everything that he is who he says he is. It changes everything that he came on a rescue mission for me and for you. It changes everything that he lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect, holy life so that he could be a perfect, holy sacrifice for us. That he could take our place on a cross. It changes everything that he is who he says he is. It changes everything when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. It changes everything when he defeats death. Everything is changed because he is who he says he is. Who is he to you? Because you can't change him to make him fit in to whoever you want him to be. He changes us because of who he is. And who is this man? We're going to close with this, but um, I don't know if you know much about the the reform, um, the reformers, Martin Luther, and some of those guys. But man, they didn't really use the term "saved" a whole lot like we do now, right? We talk about "saved," and that means that you know we've given our life over to Jesus and we're saved. They use the term that that really just encapsulates this whole experience to me. And what they said is that you're captivated by a new and greater affection. And I'm wondering how many of us have been captivated and changed by a new and greater affection? How many of us have, have been captivated by the love of God? And today, for some of you, is the day for you to make that decision to accept them for the first time, to begin a relationship with them. To say, man, I've, I've been living this life understanding who he was, having a perception of who he was, but never having a personal relationship with him. Thomas Chalmers put it this way. He said it's an expulsive power of a new affection. And what that means is that we have affections within us before Jesus. And then we begin a relationship with Jesus. And because of the expulsive power of him, as we fill our life, with the Spirit, as we fill our life with Jesus, all these other affections begin to, to dissipate out of our lives. And we're captivated and we're engulfed by a greater affection, and that greater affection is Jesus. And how many of you have been captivated by a new and greater affection? What do you live this life for? Who is He to you? And he rode in to town on a donkey, showing that he was humble, showing that he was the prince of peace, that he, he wasn't trying to cause a war. And he was coming to give his life for his people. And that means he was giving his life for you. And what does that do for you? How does that change you? Do you have the greater affection of Jesus in your life? 
Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.